Welcome to the Barfly Podcast Season 5. My name is Jeff Burkhart, Barfly columnist for the Bay Area News Group and author of the books 20 Years Behind Bars, The Spirit of the Adventures of a Real Bartender, and its sequel, Pearl Denied. My co-host and barback is Kevin Zong, editor of The Grin Dish. Sit back and relax as we attempt to pull back the curtain on the hospitality industry. And feel free to pour yourself a beverage. I know Kevin and I will. Welcome back to the Barfly Podcast. This week, we welcome Scott Champoule, tenure service vet at opentable.com and a three-year bartender at the Sausalito Cruising Club, but more importantly, the founder of the Sausalito Liquor Company, which begins service this month. Thanks for being here, Scott. Hey, guys. Hey. Welcome. <laughs> welcome. welcome. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Why start a liquor company? I found myself burnt out from being a marketing guy. I decided that I wanted to do something totally different, something community-oriented, something that really was going to be able to help out and bring people together in a very physical and local way. And I started to uh, talk with my friends, and, and a lot of people said, what did you love about Open Table when you were there? And I said, well, I love the power of what happens when you bring people together around a dining table. I said, well, why don't you start you know, your own restaurant? I said, well... Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we started talking. I said, well, I like the, the way you have a couple drinks with friends and, and you really are enjoying yourselves. And so they said, start a brew pub. And I said, well, okay, Sausalito could actually use a brew pub. That'd be good. I've heard for a while that was going to happen. But I started to research and, and look at the state of the beer industry and the wine industry and spirits industry. And I realized that the spirits industry was about 10 to 15 years behind where the beer industry is, is that consumer consumer preference is really starting to drive an interest in more local and more craft oriented spirits. And then I ran into this kind of really interesting fact, which is that Sausalito, where I live, has been a hub for distilling for many years of its history before it, it ended in a fire in 1963. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. I mean, you say that more. I mean, but that's, that's huge. Whiskey Springs uh, condo development is on the site of American Distilling. Yeah, so the, it was founded by eight, in 1892 by a yeah. guy named John Mason, and it was called it was Mason Distilling, and it was Irish whiskey for a while. And they actually made it through prohibition and it was sold then to the American Distilling Company, which is a bigger distillery. And at one point it was the largest distillery west of the Mississippi. Yeah. It was making bourbon, rye, vodka, gin. And then it was a big employer in the area, which I love as well. And it, it unfortunately ended in a in a, in a large fire. And a fireball. Uh, fireball. It wasn't quite as safe back then, I think, to no. distill. And the scale of that distilling operation was enormous. Like you said, it was one of the largest distillers on the West Coast, if not at the time, the largest. And uh, and they produced everything. If you go over to the, the Marin History Museum, they have several bottles of, of their yeah. own product that you can see. In the, and it's, I mean, they made pretty much everything under the sun, much like large scale distilling does now, where yep. few companies make almost everything and then bl- label it up, where the craft industry is kind of a whole different ballgame there. Yeah. And it was, it's a big piece of Sausalito history in the sense that I've talked to some of the older residents in Sausalito, and they remember playing baseball as a kid and the smell of the distillery in the town <laughs> as like a really distinct memory. And that, really? that's super cool, especially as Sausalito tries to hold on to some of its industrial roots, which I support. It's cool that, you know, the idea that it was a pretty big hub for distilling. And you're the first distiller to, to, to return to Sausalito since then. I mean, Hanson has a tasting room there, but that's not, they're not producing anything there. My vision is that we'll have a production facility in Sausalito and that it'll be a place where people can come and learn about distilling and they, they can uh, have cocktail. I think mm-hmm. Sausalito could use another great cocktail bar, although there's there's a number of good ones. And then uh, really, you know, as you said, return the tradition back to the city and tie it to the roots. So you have the idea. You're like, okay, 
I want to create this company. I don't want to do like a brew pub or something like that. So you decide on doing, you know, Sausalito Liquor Company. What happens next? So the first thing yeah. you do is you Google, am I having a midlife crisis? <laughs> right? so, what does so, Siri say? <laughs> it takes you through a, 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 you know, a number of websites that they actually have quizzes. And all of them are like, do you find yourself depressed? Are you, are you lonely? All this stuff. And I was the exact opposite on this idea than all of them. No, I'm excited. I think, you know, people that I've told it to is like, that's, that's what you are. That defines you. Mm-hmm. Like, this sounds like a perfect idea. So there was the first check is just, is this totally insane? I said, no. So the second thing I did, and this was right during COVID, the, the, the heart of COVID, was I found a place called Moonshine University in Louisville, Kentucky, which is an intensive distilling and distillery school, training school. And they had been closed for COVID and they were opening a... Uh, uh, the first version of the, of the post-COVID class in person in Louisville. So I had to fly. It was my first COVID flight. It was half attended because they wanted people spaced out. And I spent a week just going soup to nuts on all about what it means to own a spirits brand and a distillery. And by the end, most people are terrified because <laughs> they purposefully are trying to discourage you if you're not really committed. And I was even more excited about it. And if you know me, when I get excited about something, it'll be, you know, it'll be something that I'll get obsessed with and, and dive into. It really has been the last, you know, two years of my life. Distilling, it, I mean, there's a science and an art involved in it. So there, you can be taught all the technical skills, but actually a lot of the application of it is tasting it and deciding on what your preference is yeah. and then market and, and then pursuing that preference. It's the idea with some of these people get kind of namby-pamby where yeah. they go right down the middle and they don't want to be too much of this or too much of that. They do too much market research yeah. and then they create a product that really is kind of bland. Yeah. Right. And that's where I think why I think craft distilling is such a huge hit is because it is very distinct. It's very personality driven specifically to the distiller and to the drinker too. Yeah. And, uh, and that makes it more interesting. And that I think a consumer can kind of, you know, take a bite or a, a, a draught out of that. So when I got out of Moonshine, I said, okay, I can't do this alone and I'm not going to be able to, uh, get my palate, although I love spirits and, and consume uh, to the point where I think I'm qualified to make decisions for <laughs> product. And so I hired a, a master distiller and, and he and I have been working on all the recipes of the, of the products that were that we're launching at the moment, you know, one gin and two bourbons, or, sorry, two whiskeys, a bourbon and a rye whiskey. We can, we can get into that mm-hmm. uh, when you want. But to me, it's been such a learning process. And I'll tell you what, the, the, the distilling industry has been so welcoming. Uh, I met with, you know, 20 or 30 other distillers in the market. They're just really excited about helping each other out and trying to advance craft distilling. It's a brotherhood. Um, I like it. It is, yeah. instead of being, uh, I'm against you. Right. So I've, I've just learned a ton along the way. And at this point in my career, learning new things has been one of the most interesting parts of this whole adventure for me and remembering how to do new things because I had been in marketing for 25 years. You know, I noticed uh, in reading more about the company on your website and press materials, you talk about the spirit of Sausalito. What which is a nice play on words, but, you know, what is the spirit of Sausalito? So the spirit of Sausalito is what we founded the company on, Sausalito Liquor Company, really created to celebrate what makes this area around us, Sausalito and Marin, so unique. Uh, We think about it as like magic, some quirkiness to it, obviously the natural kind of rugged beauty of it, and then the lifestyle that's associated with it. We're, We're calling the lifestyle of this area 
living a little offshore. <laughs> and you can take that literally because there's a lot of houseboats and others, but it's also just, I think, a mentality that, that persists with a lot of the folks that we've met since we moved to Sausalito in 2009. Sausalito's always had that quirky kind of association, an artist colony and all that kind of thing. It used to, I mean, lots of rock music was re- recorded in, in and around uh, uh, Sausalito or about Sausalito. So it, it, that makes a lot of sense. And, and also, as much as it's changed, it's still somewhat the same, yeah. right? Unlike a lot of other parts of, of, of Marin County, like Mill Valley or something, which is really a, a completely different place than what I remember as a kid. I think that's a great point. It's There's definitely, the history of it is super important. I mean, it goes way back. You can talk about the Liberty ships that were built here and how that brought a, a ton of immigrants into the into the area that, that still their culture is, is strong here today. You can talk about the rum running days at Sally Stanford. You can talk about the music you mentioned. I spent time at the record plant down there, and it's fascinating to see the albums that were created there. Obviously, yeah. Fleetwood Mac rumors, sure. and, and but there's like 30 gold albums that were recorded there. It's great. And uh, the artists and the houseboat wars, I mean, just there's so much of it. So that's a big part of it. But also, as you said, today there still is. I think about all the folks I know in Sausalito, and I'd say, one out of every two is in some sort of artist, creative music role in their lives as their careers. And so it might not be as evident as it was, you know, in the 50s and 60s, but but it's it's part of the heart and soul of it as well. Some of the, the stuff that you're doing here is uh, it plays homage to that, definitely. I mean, so let's start with talking about your Coastal Gin, sure. right, which is kind of a, a, a unique product in its own right. Yeah, Marin Coastal Gin. So I love gin. Gin is like, as a, as a spirits connoisseur, it's like the, the greatest tapestry that you can create because it has to be juniper forward. Most people don't know that, but it has to be number one first juniper, but you can put just about anything in it. And so I worked with my distiller on how do we create something that makes you feel like you're standing on Mount Tam or you're, you're, you're hiking through Marin County. And that's what we came up with. It's Marin Coastal Gin. It, it has some great local ingredients like California citrus peel, including lemon and orange peel. It's got nori seaweed, which is foraged just off the coast of Bodega Bay. There's this amazing farm called Strong Arm Farms. This woman, Heidi Herman, that I that I met with forages seaweed. I went, I've been out there a couple times foraging with her, and it just goes really nicely into the gin. Umami. Yeah. yeah, and it also, I think, mutes some of the sharpness of gin that not everyone loves. And so the gin is meant to be, just like the rest of our spirits, super approachable, super uh, unapologetically drinkable. I know that sounds like marketing speak, but but truthfully, it's gin you can sip on without anything else in it or on a rock. Kind of appeals to people that I call the gin curious crowd. You know, the people that, that say, "Oh, in college, gin didn't do so well for me." Right. They want to try it again, and it's yeah. it's a really approachable gin, but it can stand up and make a great martini. So it's not overly soft. Gin is the backbone of all. I, I mean, once someone asked me, "What can you make with gin?" I'm like, "Well, literally every single yeah. thing, right? Everything. It's it's the primary ingredient in every original cocktail for the most part, yeah. right? With some combination of that." So we've kind of gone through the vodka era where people stripped out flavor and, and did that. So gin definitely is making a comeback, but it's a different style of gin than our parents drank, right? It or is. our grandparents drank. It's 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 more floral, more fruity, yeah. right? Less less juniper, but still there. Yeah. And not, not not a hammer to the head usually. What's the proof on your gin there? It's so a, the gin is actually 90 proof, right. but it doesn't drink like that. I'd say it's on the medium side, but it's definitely as you said, it's it's not a London dry gin. 
It's got some California citrus peel explosion, that citrus to it. Not overly, though. And it's some American-style gins like this are way overboard, I think, in yeah. terms of the botanicals. Right. This is meant to be more balanced, so you can make a cocktail with it, or as I said, you can sip it. And how many botanicals are in it? Uh, 11 different ones, yeah. including two types of juniper. Man, that's that's pretty reasonable. You see some of these at 40, right? right? And right. it's like, you can't differentiate that's, that. That's, right? that's a little ridiculous. to pick, pick those out. Well, how long did it take to come up with like the magic recipe? It's got to be a lot of trial and error. It's been uh, the last year and a half of shipping. The the distiller I've been working with is is actually not in the Bay Area. So I've been having to ship back and forth with him. Mm -hmm. And we've been tasting it. And we tasted it with only one type of juniper. And then we tasted it with both types of juniper. Like really trying to figure out what we liked and what would match the profile that that we're going after here of kind of amazingly approachable, sippable gin that is just delicious. And the kind of ethos for the brand is that we're trying to shun the like overly crafty uh, mentality that you see with a lot of craft a little too precious yeah yeah or like intimidating really i want this to be like simple like hey first question is you're tasting notes do you like it now if you can taste the citrus that's amazing and maybe that's why you like it tell me about why you like it and so it's the same with the whiskeys and and really want to want to bring people in rather than say like try to intimidate someone away from feeling like, uh, well, I can't really taste this aspect right. of it. You're telling me I should find some, you know, anise in there. I don't even know what anise tastes like. <laughs> right. you know? Loganberry is always yeah. my favorite. I'm not right. sure what a Loganberry tastes like. It is yeah. a blackberry, right? Yeah, yeah. but it's always funny. And your whiskeys, the, the problem with bringing a, 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 an age product to market, of course, is aging it. Yeah. Right. It takes a little while to get that done. And so you have to sit on this product, not really sure what's going to happen with it, because three years or two years or one year can be a long time in a barrel. I had that realization right away was either start the company and start the clock and make new make whiskey. What I, we decided to do, because there's a lot of great whiskey being made today, was was source the whiskey from some craft whiskey providers in Kentucky and Tennessee. And bring it here, and then the way we're really truly localizing it and making it our own is finishing it in local wine barrels. And so we have a bourbon and a rye, both under the name Unsinkable Whiskey. Unsinkable Bourbon is at least five-year-old bourbon from Tennessee that's been brought out here and finished for about six months in local Napa cab wine barrels. And so delicious way to add some some cab and some French oak and some tannins to the bourbon and match that sweetness to it. Again, really sippable, delicious, but not afraid to, to make a whiskey sour with it or, or do something else with it. It's the barrel finishing that really is the, the breakthrough with American craft distilling, I think. You know, they, they're making it, you know, mash bills and all that kind of stuff. Sure, but that's been yeah. done a, a lot. But American whiskey really picked up the pace when they started adopting those scotch techniques of multiple barrelings. And the Japanese, of course, kind of forged that. And it certainly makes a more interesting product more quickly, I think. Great, well-aged product, like a five-year-old Tennessee bourbon. And my intention was not to mask that. And so rather than it being barrel aged bourbon or barrel, you know, wine finished bourbon, it's bourbon that was finished in a wine cast, meaning it's not overwhelming. You do get some of the French oak because because cab generally aged in French oak and you do get some of the tannins from the red wine that was in there, but it adds delicious flavor as a way to highlight the bourbon. Right. Same thing on the rye side. Um, and port is what you're using for the rye. Like, yeah, yes. so the rye is three-year-old, at least three-year-old Kentucky rye, yes, and uh, we brought it out here and finished it in some Napa Valley port barrels, which okay. are not the easiest to find, right. but we wanted, again, for it to be connected locally as, as much as we could. And port, of course, brings, so rye, naturally spicy and peppery, 
and port naturally adds some sweetness to right. it, uh, and it just makes a delicious, delicious combination. As as evidenced by scotch, much scotch is, yes, is aged exactly that way. That's right. right. And so that and and the other thing is, you know, I know San Rafael is actually the first place to ever bottle a varietal port in California. Which is that I right? Thought, yeah, Woodbury over in uh, Greenbrier, which is no longer there, but kind of cr- crazy Marin history there. So that sweetness. Adds adds a great little bit of flavor to it. Angel's Envy, of course, does that as well. Yeah, right? It's not a, yeah. exactly a new idea, but it's a good idea. And it helps us make it truly our own, and it helps us reflect with the terroir of the area, which I think is important. And as we're visioning making our own whiskey from grain out here when we have our facility ready, then we'll learn from that and we'll be able to have that knowledge. But in the meantime, it can be we're using local ingredients where we can. We're finishing products that came from out of state with with uh, with local aspects to it. And then hopefully in our in our brand and our packaging and our ethos, we're we're embodying this area. Right. You know, Marin mm-hmm. County, Northern California. Those that live in this area, I think, are all appreciative of the the kind of wild beauty as the you know crashes into the ocean. So, but obviously, you're thinking beyond Marin County for sales and marketing, right? So how do you how do you go about doing that? Yeah, the distribution is always a big issue. So this has been an amazingly uh, incredible learning experience, and so certainly the the most challenging side is the distribution side with with uh, the fact that producers can't be distributors and distributors can't be retailers. From an ordering standpoint, I mean, we just had this conversation at my work. If I want, if I only wanted two bottles of yours, it's not cost effective to ship that. Yeah. So that you have to have a minimum. And then, but someone's not going to buy three cases of a product they don't know if they're going to sell, they're right? Gonna like, right? Yeah. And so there's that, that's that catch that a lot of people don't quite understand. How are you overcoming that? I have a marketing background and so I have a very much a kind of lifetime value view on, on this business, which is I want to find consumers that will be with us for a while. So that'll take some investment. So the first thing is clear. We have to be become beloved in, in Marin County and the Northern California area. I think there are no other spirits brands that really define the area. Um, and so that's our first goal. And, and I'm going to be working in the next few weeks to start to show up in the bars and restaurants and markets and liquor stores in that area. But we're also fortunate enough that we have tons of visitors from the Bay Area, as well as from elsewhere. My goal is for them to be able to take home this lifestyle of a little offshore by by buying a bottle of our spirits or... What better souvenir than a bottle of whiskey? Yeah, and that reminds you of that amazing time you had sitting at a cafe on the water or hiking through the area. The website we have now, saucelitaliquor.com, can ship to 42 states, so that'll be immediate as as we're launching now. It does go through a retailer, but it's very much a feeling like you're buying it directly from us. And And you are essentially a retailer, it's just a stopping point, right? Exactly, which I think is, is great, and so we can start to create fans around the country, but it'll be California first. And then we'll see, I'd love to be expanding into neighboring places that will appreciate this kind of offshore mentality. You know, our packaging, I think our whiskey has a Liberty ship on it. You know, it's a Navy Liberty ship that was built in Sausalito. And I think a lot of coastal communities will appreciate that and want to try that. And and our gin has this kind of wildness to it. So, And um, it's labeled Marin. I mean, you can't yeah. miss that, right? I mean, there's no other product that, that has that branding on it. People ask me, do people really know Sausalito elsewhere in the country? And oh, yeah. Like, well, they do travel there a lot. And yeah. Pepperidge Farms has a cookie named after it that everyone, <laughs> at least they have a positive association <laughs> with it, right? Sausalito might be the biggest little city in the world. I it mean, could be. Yeah. It could be. It's really an interesting place to live and to visit. It's been a joy. Now we can sip on it. So don't worry about tomorrow. Please join us next time when we welcome industry insiders and industry outsiders to talk about the state of the restaurant and bar business. My name is Jeff Burkhart. Thanks for listening.
have a drink on this. 